0: Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> well, a couple of things before we get rolling this morning. Um, we are getting ready to go to two services. We're about four weeks out from that. We're going to start December 5th. Two services, 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. We're going to, the 11 a.m. service, we will have children's ministry the, the 9 a.m. service, we'll have a very scaled-down uh, children's ministry. So um, we're encouraging people. If you don't serve in this church, this is your church. We encourage you to get involved somehow, to serve in some way. We definitely have a couple needs in uh, our um, audiovisual area. So if you're interested in doing that, maybe doing the slides for the the worship and for my sermon prep or for my sermon uh, notes and such, you can uh, sign up for that. that. We definitely need some help in that area. I'm um, also sound. So uh, make sure you make sure you connect with me. You can actually, if you're interested in that, just take the um, the the card in the seat back pocket in front of you, the connect card, write your name, your phone number on there. Just put media in, uh, media on that and stick it in the box back there, and I'll connect with you. That will help us out a lot. So we're excited about what the Lord is doing here at Calvary Chapel, Columbia, and man, what an amazing thing He is doing, and uh, we give Him all the glory and honor because it's all about Him. So. Um, also, uh, we just got back from Waverly, Tennessee. Pretty, pretty devastating up there still, man. There's uh, piles of stuff all over the place. And uh, uh, they're, they're really, honestly, they're, I think the lady told us yesterday, there's only two people living in their houses in, in Waverly. Everybody else is still in hotels and such. And they need a lot of help, man. So, uh, you know, as, as time goes on, uh, Pastor Brian, he's been leading up, taking teams up there. Um, so if you're interested in that, we'll, as time goes on, we'll, we'll put another team together. I think they're having some building teams coming out, I think uh, starting like next week or something. So if you have a trade that you would like to donate some time to, uh, you can connect with Pastor Brian. He can put you in touch with the, the pastor of First Baptist Church up there, and you can serve up there. It's about an hour and 20, hour and 30-minute drive from here, so uh, prepare for that. Get yourself a couple cups of coffee and plan your bathroom breaks because they're... <laughs> You know what I mean? There's, there, you're going out in the country. So, but uh, anyway, it's, uh, it was a great time. This the team that we took out there. Uh, so there was a great time. A lot of youth came with us, and we had a great time with those guys. So, anyway, that that uh, just wanted to bring you up to date as, as it relates to that. So Revelation chapter two this morning, we're continuing our verse by verse study through the book of Revelation, uh, the things to come series, and. We find ourselves finishing up chapter 2 this morning. Lord willing, stand with me and we're going to begin in verse 18 this morning. Jesus dealing with the church in Thyatira. Revelation chapter 2, beginning in verse 18, and to the angel of the church in Thyatira right, the words of the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like... Behold, I will throw her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold to this teaching, who have not learned what some... Call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And Lord, what a relevant word to us in our culture where we find this spirit of Jezebel in and amongst the churches in our world today. And we ask you, Lord, to speak into our lives this morning. Help us to understand, Lord, what you're saying, not just to this church, but what are you saying to us this morning? What do you want to, us to leave with this morning? Will you open our hearts and our minds, Lord? Will you help us to hear from you? We ask you to come by your spirit and speak to us now in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. So as I was studying for this text, I have no idea why this came to mind. But if Will Smith were to live in biblical days, he might have written a song about the church in Thyatira called Getting Jezzy With It instead of his 1997 hit Getting Jiggy With It. I, I don't know where that came from, but I thought it was hilarious, and there you go. So the church in Thyatira, listen, was influenced by a woman that Jesus calls Jezebel. And they were tolerant of all kinds of things ranging from hardcore egalitarianism to false doctrine and idol worship accompanied by sexual immorality. Jesus calls uh, this woman Jezebel not because that's her real name, but because she's operating in the spirit of Jezebel. Who is Jeze? Well, I'm glad you asked. Jezebel is the daughter of Ethabel Uh, Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians who became the wife of Ahab you might remember her from the Old Testament Ahab was the king of uh, the northern kingdoms he reigned starting in about 870 BC to about 852 BC Ahab was one of the most evil kings in the northern kingdoms the Bible says that Ahab did what was evil in the sight of the Lord more so than any other king Up until his point. He was an evil dude. And because of that, he forsook the word of God. The word of God told the children of Israel, do not intermarry with other nations around around Israel. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 3 through 4. You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons and taking their daughters for your sons, for they would turn away your sons from following me. To serve other gods, then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you and he would destroy you quickly. Ahab didn't listen to the word of God. The word of God wasn't relevant in his life. He didn't care what God had to say. He did whatever he wanted to do. And therefore, he takes Jezebel as his wife. The name Jezebel literally means where is the prince? Where is the prince? It's interesting because that was a chant that was done in the worship of Baal. They would chant Jezebel or they would chant, where is the prince? They were calling him up from the underworld, interesting enough. And so they would chant his name and that's what her name means. And Ahab's a Jew who knows that he's not supposed to be worshiping Baal. And yet here he finds himself marrying uh, Jezebel. Jezebel was, uh, the, the word Baal, by the way, means owner or lord, and it, it actually can be, it can cover a gamut of different gods. It's not just one god, it's many gods, and in fact, various different regions had different versions of Baal, you know, and, and so if you were a Philistine, you would be worshiping Dagon. That was Baal's father, by the way. Dagon, you remember the the account there where the Philistines brought the Ark of the Covenant into the temple and the people came out in the morning and they found Dagon fell down before the the, the Ark of the Covenant. So they set him back up. Interesting, you gotta set your idol back up, your God. You have to to help him out a little bit. So they set him back up. They come back out the next day and his arms and his head had been broken off the statue. Dagon it, right? That's what happens. So the Canaanite version of Baal was was sort of this uh, this the, the the Baal the sun god the Canaanite version of Baal was probably the false god Molech who if you recall anything about the Old Testament Molech is probably um, you know, he he is uh, he is live and well in our modern day culture by the way I'll explain that in a minute but M- uh, Moloch was this god that was sort of this, this ox headed man that was sitting on a throne and he'd have his hands out like this. They would build a fire underneath his hands. They would get his hands glowing red hot and then they would offer their firstborn male children up on his hands and they would watch them sizzle to death. That's how they worship Moloch. Molech. This is the Canaan, uh, Canaanite god, probably part of the Baal worship. There are other versions of, of Baal worship, one depicting Baal as, a, as a, holding a thunderbolt and saying that he is the rider of the clouds. And so this is the God that Jezebel represents. She's represent essentially. A host of demonic presence is exactly what she's doing. These idols are dumb. They have no life in them. They are demonically influenced. And therefore, there's things that may happen as a result of, uh, you know, worshiping these false idols, but it's demonic in its nature. So you can, if you have to fashion and form your God, then you know that it's demonic. If you have to help it in any way, shape, or form, you know it's demonic. And so here we find uh, the children of Israel have been introduced to demonic worship of false idols. And that's why God told them not to intermarry. Jezebel is responsible for this. She set up 800 prophets of Baal in in the culture there. And you might recall that 450 of them got toasted by Elijah, right? When they they came at Mount Carmel and, and they had that showdown between the, 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 the false prophets of, of Baal and, and, and Elijah representing the real God. You can read it later. What, an, what a great account. But as a result of that, oh, and by the way, Did you know that Jezebel had killed all the prophets in the land of the northern kingdoms already? So, Elijah was the only one left. So, you understand when she said, I want your life, Elijah, that he became a little bit afraid. And he ran from her. That tells us something about this woman. It tells us about the evilness of of the way that she operated. And that she would stop at nothing. Nothing. To make sure that Baal was the god that was worshipped in the northern kingdoms. That was her objective. Perhaps she was, you know, satanically influenced by the devil himself. Would not not surprise me. Listen, you you might recall the story of of Naboth. When... (laughs) Ahab, king, king of the northern kingdoms, goes to his vineyard and says, hey, sell me your vineyard. And he's like, no, I don't want to sell you my vineyard. I kind of like my vineyard. And he's like, no, no, sell it to me. And he's like, no. And, and he went away, and he was crying on his wife's shoulder. You know, she won't give me the vineyard and all this kind of stuff. And so she takes matters into her own hands. she kills him and gives his, her, the king, her husband, uh, the vineyard. That tells you who's in control. That tells you who is in control of this situation. He comes crying to his wife. Dudes, do not do that. Listen, we're having a manly revolution conference next week, next Saturday. If that's you, you need to be here, man. Because, listen, the world is sissifying men. And I think Ahab may have started that movement. I'm not sure. But, but the reality of it was that Jezebel was running Ahab. Jezebel was running the northern kingdoms that belonged to God Almighty. She was running it. This is the problem that's going on in the church in Thyatira. They are being influenced by a Jezebelian woman who is running the church. Who's running the church. It's interesting that uh, that spirit is still around. As I said in my prayer, it still exists today. This false prophetess in the church of Thyatira had somehow made her way into the pulpit, and she was teaching the people about how they should worship. And the leadership and the body were fine with it. They were totally fine with it. Well, Jesus has a lot to say about uh, what's going on in this church, and it applies to us today. By way of background, Thyatira was located some 40 miles southeast of Pergamum. It was probably founded by Alexander the Great some 300 years before Christ. It was somewhat of a famous in its day for commerce, known for its wool industry, especially the dyes that were produced there. They manufactured a very expensive purple dye that was obtained by Murex Shellfish, they, the divers would dive down into, the, into the, the, the sea there and they would get these little um, shellfish and they would bring them up and they would, they would cause the little snail to come out of the shell. They would slit his throat and they would get one drop of this dye that mixed with certain chemicals would produce uh, colors that were unproducible anywhere else in the world, which made this, these things very expensive. And so they were known for that. Thyatira was also known for its trade guilds. They were like um, ancient unions of the day. According to William Barclay, there were more trade guilds here than any other city its size in Asia Minor. Workers um, with various industries in the city, bankers, wool workers, dyers, bronze workers, potters, and all these other various industries that were uh, hosted there in Thyatira, all banded together together. And they would set prices and guarantee the people their work. So if you wanted to work in Thyatira, guess what? You had to be part of a trade guild. The problem with that is that there were gods that these trade guilds would worship. So if you were part of a trade guild, you also had to be part of the worship of that trade guild. And that that would encompass all kinds of different uh, evils. Hence, the name Thyatira means unceasing sacrifice. There was unceasing sacrifice to false gods going on all the time in this city. Amongst the various different gods being worshipped there, there was a temple dedicated to fortune-telling, presided over by a female oracle called Sambath. Many would come to consult her regularly. This is the sort of culture that's happening in Thyatira we don't know how the church was actually established there, uh, but what we know is that we meet a lady in Philippi named Lydia. She's from Thyatira, and she's there on a business trip, and she meets Paul. She's selling her purple goods, which come from the Murex shellfish. And while she's there in Philippi, you remember, she's praying with the Jewish women there, and she meets the apostle Paul. She gets saved, and she starts a church in her house there in Philippi. I find it interesting that the the culture that's happening seems to be surrounded around women. And even we see this with Lydia being in Philippi that, you know, she's she's a prosperous businesswoman that is doing the trade all over the... That's not culturally kind of acceptable in that time frame, which is interesting. Um, But nevertheless... Perhaps that's how the church started. Maybe Lydia came back from Philippi to Thyatira, and maybe she spread the gospel there. Also, very possible that the believers in Ephesus sort of span the the Asia Minor area, and maybe that's how the church got started. We don't know. One thing we know for sure, while the church in Thyatira was the smallest of the seven Jesus writes to, um, we know that it contains one of the biggest problems of all the churches that Jesus will address. It is the issue of tolerating sin. Tolerating sin in the body and not doing anything about it. Jesus won't stand for that. It's interesting if you have been following along with us, you see the degradation that's happening. And there's a step down every week as Jesus is addressing the churches. And that step down will continue all the way till we get to the end of the seventh church. Here we find there's only two churches that are faithful to the Lord. Church in Smyrna who's being persecuted and the church of Philadelphia. All the other churches, there's, there's a degradation happening. It starts in, the, in Ephesus where they have lost their love for people and for the Lord. It's where it always starts, folks. When you start to lose your heart connection with the Lord and his people, sin is crouching and waiting to pounce on you. So here's what happens we find then, uh, you know, we find the, after that, the church of Pergamum. The church of Pergamum was a, a church that was, you know, it was tolerant of various different uh, teachings of, of the Nicolaitans and such, and it was practicing sexual morality. It started to dabble with sin, and yet Jesus is still addressing the minority in that church. Here, everything changes, folks. When it comes to this letter that's dealing with this particular church in Thyatira, Jesus is no longer talking to the minority in the church. He's talking to the majority. The, you see the flip that's happened. It's gone from, you know, just, just a little less loving to a little toleration of sin to full corruption. And then what we're going to find is we're going to find spiritual dead people. And then we're going to find people who are trying to have some sort of religious experience with the Lord, but it makes them sick because they're lukewarm. And if you consider anybody who's ever been a prodigal in their life, you, they will tell you that's what happened. They, they lack love at the beginning. They allowed a little sin in their life, and it just was a, a landslide downward from there. That's why we have to guard our hearts, folks. We have to make sure that we, we have, you know, we have blinders on that are focused on Jesus Christ, Because we have a world out there that if you take your blinders off for a second, you're going to be tempted right into sin. So we have to be very careful about allowing these things in our lives. MacArthur said it this way, if we don't guard ourselves against the culture that we live in, we will be headlong into the very depths of the satanic deception that is happening all around us, folks. How does somebody get there? By not being careful with their heart. The Bible says, guard your heart for out of it spring the issues of life. Be careful with the things that you allow in. Jesus, speaking to this church, sort of walks through the traditional outline that we've been following. He addresses the correspondent of the church. then he commends the church for the things that they're doing well. He corrects them for the things that they're not doing well. And then he gives them a command. In this specific instance, there are two commands. One to those who are unfaithful in Thyatira, and one to those who are faithful. So there is a minority group of people in this church that are doing the right thing. And Jesus has commands for both of them, for the unfaithful and the faithful. And then he gives a conditional promise at the end here. So we begin... By considering how Jesus addresses the correspondent of the church at Thyatira, look at verse 18 with me, and to the angel of the church at Thyatira, write the words of the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Jesus, again, is writing to the pastor of the church in Thyatira, and as is his formula with every letter, he describes himself in such a way. That is addressing something in this church. And there are three things that Jesus says about himself in this introduction. The first thing he, he, uh, he reveals to this church is he reminds them that he is God incarnate. He is the son of God. Why is that relevant? Because this church was worshiping the son of Zeus who was the sun god. Jesus says, I am the sun god. The god the sun, and Son, and the, the, the son of God. I'm the one that beams bright. Look to me. He's reminding this church of his deity. This is, the, this is the only time in the book of Revelation that you find this title, in the entirety of the book. We see in, in Revelation chapter 1, verse 13, John writes about um, Jesus as the son of man, which is uh, revealing the humanity of Christ. But here Jesus reveals himself as the son of God. You have to understand, in this culture, when somebody was the son of something, they were saying that they are that. They're from that. They are that. Like like Mary and God didn't make Jesus. Uh, Jesus was implanted in Mary through the Holy Spirit. He was born of a virgin, through a virgin womb. But he is God incarnate, folks. He is God incarnate. And, and uh, you know, we know that that's what the word of God reminds us of in, first, in, in John chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. We know what the word is by uh, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus Christ, he became flesh. He is the word. He is God. Jesus is reminding this church that he is God. And not only that... But he's also reminding this church that he sees everything, that there's nothing that goes that happens in, in their midst that he is not aware of. He knows about it all. Nobody can hide anything from him. He has eyes like a flame, literally penetrating vision and gaze. He can see through facades. He sees reality as it is. Hebrews chapter four, verse 13, and no creature is hidden from his sight." But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Jesus draws their attention to his laser-like eyes who are not hindered by the physical realm. He sees right into our hearts, folks. He knows our intentions. He knows everything about us. And yet, you know what? He loves you. He loves me. He loves us desperately. He knows all the wicked things about us and yet he's still the same. I want relationship with you. That is amazing. That is unbelievable. And yet uh, the Lord will continue to love us no matter what he sees. No matter what he sees. There's not a single person in this place. I don't care what you're going through or what you've been through. The Lord loves you and he sees it all. And yet he loves you still. Uh, The third thing that we find here is Jesus revealing his feet that are like burnished bronze. Anytime you read about the the color bronze in the Bible, it's speaking of judgment. Interesting enough, this city prided itself upon its amazing bronze work. There was bronze uh, bronze uh, metal workers that would make all kinds of amazing things. They were known for producing high-quality armor and weapons out of bronze. It was said that when these were properly polished, they gleamed like gold. Jesus says, look at my feet. They represent The war that's coming to those who reject me as God and King. Jesus alone is Savior and Jesus alone is Lord. Jesus alone is Lord. He is the judge of all. Peter reminds us that, you know, judgment starts in the house of the Lord. 1 Peter 4, 17, for it's time for judgment to begin at the house of the Lord. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Judgment's coming, folks. And sometimes judgment comes and we don't even recognize it as the judgment of the Lord. And we see that even in believers' lives. God, you know, if you're a believer, listen, God's not going to judge your sin because your sin's been dealt with on the cross. It's been judged already. But God will judge your, judge your sin in terms of not allowing you to continue in it. And we see that in, in New Testament ways in various different um, situations. And I'll, 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 you know, just to give you an example, you see that with Ananias and Sapphira. The church begins. They lie to the Holy Spirit and they drop dead. Why? That was a judgment from God. You know, sometimes the Lord brings things into our path because we're not listening to him. Some of us think that God's trying to preserve this life as much as he can. Listen, it's not so much about this life. It's more so about the next life. God's not so much trying to preserve this life because this life, I hate to say it, doesn't matter in comparison to the other life that's coming. The thing that is relevant about this life is how it connects to the next life. That's what's important. That's what God is focused on. God cares about your spiritual life. God cares about those things. And he, not to say he doesn't care about your physical life. Don't, don't misunderstand me. He does care. But sometimes when we're not listening to the Lord as a believer and we're, 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 we're just living the way that we want to, the Lord says, listen, judgment is going to come upon your house. Understand that. It starts in the house of the Lord. God isn't, I said this last week, I'll say it again. God is the same God from the Old Testament as he is in the New Testament. He's the exact same God. He doesn't change. He's so serious about sin because sin produces death. Sin produces separation from him, even if you're a believer. It separates you in terms of your fellowship with God. He's serious about it, and he wants us to be serious about it too. Jesus is the judge of all. John chapter 5, verse 22. For the Father judges no one, but but he has given all judgment to the Son. Romans chapter 14, verse 10 for he will, for we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Revelation 19, 15. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. Where's the grace? The grace is in, in, in the time before that happens. That's the grace. And I don't know how much grace God has given you, but I can only speak on my behalf, and it's been a lot. It's been exceedingly and abundantly more than I could have ever hoped or dreamed of the the grace of God in my life. Listen, nobody will stand before the Lord and go, you didn't give me any grace. He's going to say, do you really want me to show you how much grace I gave you? For real? I give you more grace than you can even, listen, he gives us more grace than we could ever even fathom, folks. He's a gracious God. So gracious, so patient. Uh, If you're a parent and you Watch your little children. You know that there's a level of patience that you have to have to to parent. It's a difficult task. As much as you love those little sinners, man, they challenge you to to the end of the earth, don't they? There's a limit. There's a limit. But here's the reality of it is, is that God in his perfection he loves us the same. He, his life doesn't change. Not to say that I, you're not a perfect parent, but if you were, your love would never change. But you know what? At some point, there's a, there's a line. Maybe you've been hurt by your children, your older children. Maybe you've experienced things, you know, in your life that you're, you're like, man, I, I wish I never had kids. Listen, kids are a blessing from the Lord. They're, they're an incredible blessing from the Lord, but they are a challenge, they are a challenge, and I, I would, I would, if you're a parent here today, then you know exactly what I'm talking about when it comes to grace. You know exactly how good God is to us, how amazing He is to us, that He would stick through uh, uh, thick and thin, through anything that we've gone through in our lives, and He's still there for us at the end of the day. He's amazing, but nevertheless, He will address things in our lives. He's not going. He, he's not a, an enabler of sin. God hates sin because sin destroys you, and he knows that, and he loves you. So he does what any parent would do and addresses the issue, but he does it in with patience and grace and love. So Jesus here representing himself as the, 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 the son of God, as the one with the eyes of fire and with the feet who are with burnished bronze. I think I said four, but there's only three, so we'll move on to the... Uh, to the next section here where Jesus goes on to commend this church for the things that they're doing right. Verse 19. He said, I know your works. Your love and faith and service and patient endurance. And that your latter works exceed the first. Jesus says, I know your works. Jesus said, this church isn't a lazy church. This church is a working church. This church is working so much that their their, um, current works are out outworking the works that they started with. Like, they're progressing in their work. They're not just sitting back, and it's not like they're just taking in the culture. Like, they're still working for the Lord. And it's interesting how, you, you know, the, oftentimes when we get sucked into the culture, our works stop. But it's interesting that this this church's works are continuing on. This 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 tells you, this tells you very clearly that you can see a church that's doing a lot of great things doesn't mean they're representing Jesus folks doesn't mean that at all in fact they can be doing great things and they can have attributes that look like they're they're amazing and yet Jesus can say listen you're you're about, I'm about ready to take this church out you know because of the things that they're allowing if you're not progressing in works as a believer you're off mission if you're not progressing in works as a believer, you're off mission. Why? Because we were saved to work in this world. We were saved to go into the world and, and, and just, just be workers, laborers for the Lord. We were created for good works, the Bible says, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we were, were his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. Paul told Titus in Titus 3.14, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help uh, cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. Listen, if you're not walking in good works today, then you're off task and you're not being fruitful. That's the reality. The Lord calls his church to be workers. And isn't it interesting that the Bible says that there's, there's a period of time which I think started with the church age and will end with the rapture of the church. It, it, and, and I think that time frame is called the harvest. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Why? Because Christians get distracted. We get sucked into the world. And we start, you know, there, there's so many things that we have to balance. And that's why priorities are so important. When it comes to, you know, what am I living for my living to have a, a fancy house and a nice car and, and a, you know, my kids have a college fund and all this kind of stuff. Those are great things, and there's nothing wrong with that unless it's detracting you from Jesus' call on your life, right? Everything in balance, folks. Everything in balance. If you're working so hard to live in this world and, and yet you're not working for the Lord at all, you got to ask yourself, what am I doing? I got to balance this out somehow. Um, it doesn't mean you should quit your job and join the, ch- and, and, you know, try and go on staff at a church because if everybody's on staff at a church, guess what? There'd be no Christians in the world. I also think that it's the same idea when it comes to taking your kids out of public school. If there's no Christians in public school, guess what? Who's evangelizing these kids? I'm not telling you to put your kids in public school either. Here's what I'm saying is they're not yours. They're His. Are you going to ask the Lord what He wants you to do or are you just going to do what you want to do? we got to ask the Lord folks on everything we're doing. Lord, do you want me to take this job? Lord, do you want me to to do this with my kids? Do you want me to? Everything. It all belongs to Him. Our lives are His. We sign the dotted line. Christ, here is my life. Do whatever you want to do with it. Did you mean it? Because He might take you up on that and He might say, hey, I want you to quit your job and go do this. You're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Lord, what are you doing? Hey, what I know is that everything that the Lord has led me to in my life has been amazing. God's not leading you to the pit of hell, folks. Wherever he takes you, he will meet you and he will, he will bless you exceedingly. But it, but it all starts with obedience. It all starts with you asking him, Lord, what is your plan for my life? This, this church was, was a church that was a working church. They were known for their works, but their heart wasn't right. Jesus goes on here, and he, he says these works are manifest in four different ways here. First, he mentions their love. This was a loving church. This church is representing God. 1 John 4, 8, God is love. If God is love, then his children ought to be what? love. The world's supposed to know you and I that we belong to Him by the love that we have for what? One another. This church is a loving church. I love the way this church loves each other. It's so amazing to see that. Such tight relationships going on in this church. It's, it's really amazing to see that. But this church was a loving church. And, and that probably contributed to the, to the growth that they were the, the growing the, as they were growing in their works. They loved people and they wanted to minister to people. Secondly, they were walking by faith. They had a trust in the Lord in some, to some capacity. It's not like they were faithless. They were faithful. They were, be, they were walking in faith and, and not faithful in terms of their deeds, but faithful in terms of walking by faith. They were walking. They were faith-filled people that were walking by faith. Thirdly, Jesus says that they were known for their service. This is where we get the word deacon from. Deacon's a servant in the church. Could be a man or a woman. A deacon is is somebody who is just simply a servant in the church. And these people were known as servants. Jesus said, I didn't come to what? Serve, but to I didn't come to be served, but to serve, right? Sometimes we get that backwards. We're like, oh man, I've been working all week. I just gotta go get served. No. Wrong heart. I gotta go serve. I gotta go serve the Lord. Because he's worthy of my worship. He deserves my service. And it doesn't necessarily happen here, folks. It can happen anywhere, it can happen in your job. You serve the Lord. Fourthly, they were patiently enduring all the things in the culture that they were experiencing, they were patiently enduring these things. So, on the surface, this church seemed to be great. I mean, it just seems like, whoa, Lord, what's your problem? This this seems like an amazing church. Wait, there's a correction. Listen to what he says here, verse 20. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Contrary to popular belief, a healthy church isn't just one that has the appearance of being healthy on the outside has to be healthy on the inside. And when Jesus looks at the purity of this church, he's appalled by what he sees. He's seen some things that, are, that aren't lining up. You know, and I wonder when we look for a church or when we go into a church, you know, are we able to see the inner workings? Are we able to see, you know, the only way you can do that is, is to look for the fruit, you know, to know the people. To see, are they just active people that are doing a lot of things? They have programs for everything, or are they truly loving on each other? Are they growing in the Lord? Are They doing life together? Are they, you know, are they ministering to one another as things are going on in their lives? Or are they just, they just active. That's a different. Those are two different things. And and so the Lord says, I, the thing, the thing that I see going on in this church is that there's a crack in the foundation. There's things that are happening that are totally contrary to to what I want for my church. And it starts with this womanly influence and leadership. So here's a, I'm about to get canceled, folks, so are you ready? (laughs) So I really care about that, by the way. So, you know, this this is a huge issue in the church today, is, you know, where do women fit in in ministry and and all these kinds of things? Now, we're talking about a lady who's totally taking people off track, right? But listen, it starts subtly. I don't think she walked in off the street and said, hey, I'm a prophetess. I should probably be teaching in the pulpit. You know, it didn't probably start that way. Probably started, she just joined the church. Before you know it, people saw, wow, she seems kind of wise. Maybe threw a couple prophets out, pro- you know, prophecies out there and maybe they came to pass. Like, wow, this lady seems like she's got it going on. She's super spiritual. One time, she maybe says to the pastor, hey, would you mind if I share something with the congregation? Well, no, and then maybe she got up and she shared something. Still, I don't consider any of those things unbiblical, by the way, yet. Yet, I think this is, there, there, there's a line, though. And so she shares, and, and people go, oh, man, I was really blessed by that. You know, whatever, you know. And, and so all of a sudden... You know, there, there's there's some transition that happens and she's teaching the Bible on Sunday morning to the people. What happened? How did that happen? Listen, it's not that she's not able. It's not that she's probably even more capable than maybe the dude that was running the place. But the reality of it is it's not biblical. And here's why. Because God instituted male headship when it comes to the overall overarching leadership of his church. Why did he do it? I don't know, ask him. I have no idea. But here's what I know. I can't change that. I don't get the right to go in here. Here's what happened in our culture. And this is why we're dealing with this today. Is because the women's liberation movement, which by the way, was probably is, is, has been great in a lot of different ways, folks. In terms of women that were treated unfairly in the workplace and all kinds of stuff like that. But here's the reality of it is, is when it made its way into the church and then, the, the, then it started to mess with the roles that God designed, right? And God said, the man is to lead his home. The man is to lead, to, to, to hold the offices in the church, to be the teacher in the church, to be the overarching, you know, pastor over the body of Christ. Why? Because that's the way he set it up. You can go back to Genesis and see If he wanted it to be the other way, he would have created Eve first and then Adam out of her. But that's not what he did. He created man first and then he took from man, part of man, and made Eve. And he called her, very important, his helper. He called her his helper. Are you guys looking at me like I'm a male chauvinist? Is that just me? (laughs) Listen, it has nothing to do with that. It's like walking into the army as an infantry guy and saying, I want to be a commander. Well, I think I should be a commander right now. I just think that I'm cut out for it. I think I should just be a commander. Well, that's not the way it works. So get to the back of the line. Do me some push-ups, by the way, you know. It's the way that God designed it. And and our culture is trying to shift from that. Um, You know, and so there is what's called... Um, egalitarianism, which is this, and there's different versions of this too, by the way, but there's really two schools of thought when it comes to the Bible. What does the Bible teach about women in the ministry? Egalitarianism says, hey, a woman has equal rights, the same as a man, and they should be able to teach whatever, you know, they should be able to have the same, uh, same, you know, position as a man in in the church. And then there is what's called complementarianism, which I think is the biblical side of things where it says that, (laughs) The woman is to complement the man in in at the in the home and in the church. And that's the way it is. You know, because God, God ordained it that way. The, Paul addressed this, and I don't know where people get this, you know, that this, this idea where this was an old teaching that is not in the Bible. It is in the Bible. Paul said in First Timothy 2, verse 12, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain silent. Now, is that a cultural thing or is that, a, is that a biblical sort of overarching idea that Paul is presenting to the church? I think it's both. There, are, there were things going on in the church where women need to be silent because they're asking their husbands questions, you know, during the service and such like that. But also, um, you know, Paul is making it clear where the teaching is supposed to come from. It's supposed to come from a man because God ordained it that way. And, you know, probably he gets more glory, by the way. He gets more glory when he, when he works through, guys, because we're not super smart. And, you know, we generally, you know, we don't need directions. And next thing you know, you're lost for seven hours. And you're like, if you would just listen to me. If I would listen to my wife more, I would probably solve a lot of problems in my life. But, but here's the reality of it, is this is what the Lord is dealing with. And it's interesting that this church is dealing with this. And Jesus is addressing his saying, there's a woman that is teaching in this church, and the things that she's teaching are unbiblical. Not only have they, it started subtly, probably, where she, you know, worked her way into this position, but now what she's teaching is totally unbiblical. And maybe you're here today, and you're like, man, I, I, I never really have had, ever considered that. Well, listen, if you have a problem with that, I would love to have a conversation with you, like, just to work through it, because I can't do it right now. But, but if that bothers you, let's sit down and have a conversation about it. Let's open the Bible together, and let's work through those things. Don't just discount, oh, man, that guy doesn't like women. Not true. Not true at all. I'm just trying to teach the Bible. And I think that that's one of the biggest issues with what we have in our culture today is people are subtly changing the Bible, subtly allowing things in the Bible. You know, they're like, oh, well, listen, this is what the culture does, so it's okay for, it's not okay for us to do that. We're supposed to be different. And, you know, uh, when it comes to your home, you know, the guy is supposed to be leading the home. Listen, ladies, if you have to drag your husband out to go to church, he's off mission completely. And I would say that that's what happens in a lot of marriages, is that guys don't lead. And that's what happened in in the, the very first marriage that ever happened, by the way, is he wasn't leading like he should have been. And guys, more so than ever, need to step up and be leaders in their homes. You need to be your spiritual leader. You need to lead your wife. You need to wash her with the word of God. You need to pray with your wife. You need to do Bible studies with your wife. It's always the other way around. Why is that? Actually, that's an absolute statement. That's not true. Not always. But it's often that way. You know, guys, come on. Women are going to step into that role, and you shouldn't, by the way. But there's a temptation to when the guy's not doing what he's supposed to do. This church and this 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 leadership team or whoever was in this church at this time was just allowing this stuff to happen. There was no backbone when it came to the men of this church. They were saying, hold on a second. This ain't biblical. And we need to do something about this. So Jesus does it for them. And Jesus will do it for you. He'll address the stuff going on in your house too because he cares about it. Jesus Jesus. Wants things to be the way they are because that's the best way that they're. That's the best way that you're going to become like Christ. It's going to be uh, the best position for you, spiritually speaking. He wants us. There's an order to things because that's the way He created things to be, and it's going to be the best for you if you follow Him. This church was disobedient to the Word of God and allowing this woman to come in and teach this congregation. And she was teaching um, the, the entire body. Tolerance to sin. She was teaching them to, you know, the, the, maybe the teachings that she was teaching, it says that she, she taught and seduced my servants to practice sexual morality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. And remember the trade guilds that are going on in this culture, and worship was part of that. You know, to be a trade guild, part of a trade guild, you had to worship the god of that trade guild, and, you know, if you wanted to get work, you needed to do it, of course, and probably the message that was coming to the pulp was like, well, hey, you got to make a living, you know, you got to make a living, so go ahead and go to the the trade guild, you know, gatherings, and go ahead and worship these gods, and, and you know, God's okay with that, and, you know, you know, yeah, a little sexual morality never hurt anybody, you know, so go ahead and, you know, do this kind of, thing. That, that was probably sort of what the message was coming from this woman to these people. She was she was propagating and seducing people to sin. And God's not good with that either. You know, and, and so, um, you know, and nobody was doing anything about it. And this woman was rebellious to the Lord. And so the Lord, Jesus is addressing her and correcting her. And he's saying, here's what he tells her. Here's the command that he says to her in verse 21. I gave her time to repent. But she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. So Jesus gave her time. Just like Jesus gives you time. He's patient with us. He gave her time specifically. He's calling out whoever this woman is. He's saying I'm giving her an opportunity. To repent and turn to the Lord. And turn away from her sin. Literally to turn the other way. To stop doing what she's doing. And listen. Listen. If she doesn't, but she refuses to repent of her sexual morality, she won't do it. And I don't know, maybe you're here this morning too, and the Lord's been knocking on your heart, and he's been saying, hey, stop doing what you're doing. Why do you keep doing that? You know that's wrong. Stop doing it. And he's knocking on your heart. Listen, he will escalate the situation. He will escalate it. He addresses sin. He doesn't let it slide. Um, he's patient, and he's kind, and he's loving. And he's, but you know what? He's also just and he's holy, and he's righteous, and he wants what's best for you, so he will escalate the situation if you don't address your sin. And, he, and he's probably knocked on your heart a million times. I know he has me in certain, certain areas of my life. Tim, you want, you want you and I to handle this, or should we bring some more people into this so that we can deal with this? What do you want to do? Not to embarrass you, but because I love you. Sometimes we need accountability, folks, and maybe that's the issue. Maybe somebody needs to hear that today. Like, the, the thing you're dealing with, you need somebody in your life to keep you accountable in that area to say, hey, man, how are things going? Check in with you and just, you know, help you through those things. I got those guys in my life, and you probably should too. You know, we need accountability in our lives. And, you know, the Lord, obviously, we're accountable to him, but, but when you got to look somebody eyeball to eyeball, and and, at, and they ask you some tough questions. It's a different level, right? But that, maybe that's what we need. Be radical, man. When Jesus said, you know, if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. Or if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. He meant be radical with sin. Be radical with the things in your life that are hindering your spiritual progressiveness. You know, he wants you to progress in your, in your walk with the Lord. This woman was unwilling to do that. She's like, no, nah, I think everything's good. I don't want to turn away from my sin. She refused to, to um, repent, and so what does Jesus say? Behold, I will throw her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into a great tribulation unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works." So notice, a refusal to repent here is met with judgment of sickness. Jesus says, I'll throw her into a sickbed. It's interesting enough, it's, it's the bed where she's being defiled, isn't it? And so the Lord says, I'll throw you into a different kind of bed, a sickbed. No fun in that. But listen, sin starts out fun, but it ends horribly. And he tells this woman, I'm going to throw you into a sickbed. I'm going to judge you. Because you're not willing to do what I'm asking you to do. And Jesus says, if you're following her, by the way, I'm also going to judge you. I'm also going to bring it down. Now, here's the thing. You know, were there believers following her? I don't know. Maybe, probably. Probably believers that were sucked into the deception that were following her. How is he going to judge them? He'll judge their sin. You know, he will deal with it. And sometimes that means even unto death. You know, and that's what we find. We see this... In uh, the church of Corinth, where they're taking communion, like just going nuts with it, not having any reverence for the Lord whatsoever. And people are coming there going nuts and getting drunk and all these kind of things. And the Lord judges them. And that's Paul says that's why some of you are sick. Some of you are sick because of sin. Is, is sin the result of all sickness? No. Is it the result of some sickness? Yeah. You think that happens today? Of course it does. It's in the Bible. The Bible doesn't change. You know, he's still doing those things. You know, he's still doing the same kinds of things. Why? Because he wants to get our attention, man. And as I mentioned before, Ananias and Sapphira, another New Testament example of how the Lord deals with believers. You know, again, your sin's judged on the cross. Jesus paid the price. The blood has been shed. It's all good there when it comes to eternity. But what about now? You know, what's the Lord going to do? He he says, great tribulation will come upon you. Sometimes when we don't listen to what the Lord tells us to do, we, we get all of a sudden we have a lot of hard things that come into our path. You ever been there? And you're just like, man, this sucks. Man, w- life is hard. Why why does this happen? You know, and and, and the Lord just going, it's because of that right there. Oh, by the way, it's because of that. And he keeps pointing to something, and you're just like totally like, what? What, Lord? He he, he wants to deal with something and he's faithful to point it out. So Jesus tells those who are unfaithful there, he said, I'm going to do this so that everybody around knows that I see it all. Like I want people to know that I see it all. I want everybody to know that I'm here, that I exist, and that I'm at work in the world even though I may be not physically present. I'm present everywhere all the time. In the spiritual sense, I am here. I'm everywhere. I'm omnipresent, right? And I see it all. And I want all eyes to be pointed on me. Why? Because everybody will give an answer to me one day. And I want everybody to have that opportunity to do it now before it's too late. I want people to deal with their things. He goes on and gives a command to the faithful here. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, do not hold, who do not hold this teaching, uh, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay, you on, lay on you any other burden only hold fast what you have until I come. The deeds of Jezebel were a result of satanic influence, and yet there were some that were not falling for it. Maybe, may that be said of us today, that we're not falling for it either. That we're not being sucked into the culture and doing what everybody else is doing because everybody else is doing it. Jesus says, listen, I want to Talk now to the people who are holding, uh, to the people who are doing well, who are being faithful to me, even in this difficult time. He says, I have one command for you: hold fast. You just hold fast. It literally means to hold on, to seize to the Lord. And and you know, he wants us to hold on to him, to seize hold of him, and to stay the course. He doesn't want us to give in. How do we resist sin? We hold fast to Jesus. We hold on to the Lord. We hold on to him with everything that we've got. Listen, he goes on, to what you have until I come. Jesus said you need to do this long term. Listen, I know the world doesn't seem like it's getting easier, does it? It seems like it's getting harder. And yet Jesus says, hold on. Hold on. Just hold fast to me. What are we supposed to hold fast to, folks? To the truth. To the word of God. Listen, the world is continually... Uh, letting the Word of God go, go. you know, it's just kind of not, not holding, oh, I don't like this part, so I'm going to not hold fast to that part. I don't like this one either, and so I'm not going to hold. You know, we, we have a whole Bible, and we need to hold fast to all of it, not just parts of it. If we start releasing, you know, becoming liberal with certain portions of Scripture in our lives, it will reflect, folks. We need to hold fast to the truth. And as I mentioned last week, by the way, we're passing this baton on to these, other, to these this younger generation of kids that are coming up. What will the church look like in 20 years, folks? If the church doesn't hold fast, it's going to look just like the world. And it already is in, in a lot of cases, folks. We need to hold fast to the truth so that what we pass on to this generation of children coming up is biblical truth. It's not, not you know, cultural relevance but it's biblical truth that we're holding fast to because they need that. Everybody needs the truth, but not everybody wants to hear the truth. But that doesn't relinquish our responsibility, folks, to keep hold to the truth and to pass the truth on. And in our, our, our um, cancer, whatever, cancer, our canceling culture, whatever, you know, that, that doesn't work. People, people just, when they, don't, when they hear truth, they don't like it, they're all canceled. You know, and John Chris did a thing yesterday I was watching, and, he, and he's like, you know, uh, he, he was talking about different biblical uh, characters that were canceled. And he's like, oh, you know, you know Moses, he had the, the law in his hands, you know, canceled. And then he just goes through all these biblical characters and stuff. It's pretty funny, but that's the, the hilarious, the not so hilarious thing about that is it's true. That's what our culture wants to do to the, to the Bible, you know, you stand for things that are biblical, and I don't mean unlovingly, and I don't mean boisterously, like you're, you know, out there trying to create a scene. I'm not, I'm not talking like that. I'm talking about just being a Christian who lives in a culture and, and just trying to maintain your Christianity wherever you go, and, you know, if, if you don't adopt certain things in your life, man, canceled, you know? Cancel me. Do it. Jesus goes on here. He says, and the reason why we need to hold fast is because he's coming back for us. It's a promise. He's coming back, folks. And, you know, we, we say oftentimes, Maranatha, even so, come Lord Jesus, come, right? Not everybody says that. Not everybody says that, particularly people whose lives aren't, aren't, aren't um, you know, matching up to the word and who, don't want, who aren't ready to see Jesus face to face. You know, hopefully we can say that this morning. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Verse 26, here's the unconditional promise. The one who conquers and who Keeps my word until the end. To him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. I will give him the morning star. He was an ear to hear. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So, to the one who conquers and keeps his work till the end, Jesus says, I will make a ruler. I will make a ruler. This is a conditional promise. There's several of them here. Jesus is saying that it, you know, if you're a believer and, and you keep his, you know, you you overcome this world and you stay the course and you hold on to the him till the end, that you will be a ruler. And the, he's speaking about the millennial kingdom here. He's talking about the thousand year reign of Christ on earth, when the church will come back with him and will rule and reign with him. Guess what? If you're a believer here today. And, you know, the Lord wants you to know that one day you're going to be ruling and reigning. And that is your reward for for doing life in this world. The Lord's going to put you over someplace, you know. If it's Pittsburgh, I apologize. That's not my fault, you know. (laughs) It's like the armpit of America, you know, but that's okay. Um, At least you're a ruler there. You know, you're not some guy living in the slums of Pittsburgh. But anyway... But you're going to rule and reign with Christ. It's a promise from him. Not only that, but Jesus says, I will also give them the morning star. What does that mean? Some believe that this is a reference to Christ, uh, who, who is considered the morning star, as indicated by Revelation chapter 22, verse 16. Yet others connect the morning star with such passages as Daniel chapter 12, verse 3, Matthew chapter 13, verse 43, that promise that believers will shine and um, shine brightly with the glory of Christ. So, you know, whenever you, perhaps it's speaking about looking up and you see the stars in the sky and you see how brilliant they are and how they, they, they shine every night, folks. Whether you can see it or not is a different story. Clouds may cover it, but they're there and they're shining brightly. And guess what? If you're a believer, you will shine brightly Forever forever. The world tries to manifest fake light, right? We have fireworks and all these kinds of things that that give us this fake impression, but it only lasts for a moment, and then it's over. But you know what? Jesus says, to you who conquer, who overcome, who live for me, I'm gonna make you a star that will burn brightly forever and ever and ever. Jesus wants his church to hold fast here till the end. That's the very last moments of your life, folks. He wants you, you've got a a race to run. You've got a race to finish. You're on a course right now, and the Lord wants you to be faithful until the end. He who endures to the end will be saved. It's not the endurance that saves you. It's the endurance that proves your salvation, that you're you're enduring to the end. Notice Jesus ends with this, this admonition to all of us. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. What the Spirit says to the churches, listen. The time of Jacob is coming, folks. The time of Jacob's trouble is coming, and it's coming very soon. That means Jesus is coming very soon. And so we want to be able to say this morning, Marath- Maranatha, right? Come, Lord Jesus. Can't wait to see Jesus. But if you're not ready, you're not. You're not going to be uh, super and thrilled to say that. And so. The, the, the message for you this morning is what Jesus said at the end here. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what uh, the Spirit says to the churches. What is the Lord saying to you this morning? What is he saying you need to do? You need to respond in some way, shape, or form. If you're being faithful, hold fast. Keep doing what you're doing. If you're unfaithful, repent. Come to the Lord. If you don't know the Lord this morning, you come to him. You just give your life to him. You, you let him cleanse you of all your sins, past, present, and future. It's a one-time justification. You come to the Lord, and you know what? When, when he, the gavel goes down in heaven, and he says, justified, your sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. That's the blood of Christ. That's the power of the blood of Christ, folks. You know, we don't, we don't go to Jesus and accept Jesus every time we sin. That, that would be like going to the temple and offering a sacrifice. Jesus is a one-time sacrifice, he paid the price once and for all. And when you give him your life, he becomes your Lord. And that blood sustains you through the, your whole life. You know, the, the bigger question is, if you, you know, are you truly a believer? That's the bigger question. But if you are, the gavels come down in heaven. And the Lord said you are justified before him. So this morning, you have a, a responsibility to steward your heart. And ask the Lord, Lord, what do you want to say to me this morning? How do you want me to respond to this to this church here? What are some things that I need to do? And again, if you don't know the Lord, you come to know the Lord this morning. If you do know the Lord and, and you're messing with sin, repent. Just turn away. Turn back to him. Dedicate yourself to him. Amen. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And man, Lord, what a... What a relevant word that we find here in the church of Thyatira. Lord, and that church exists in our world today, and that spirit of Jezebel is still prevalent as ever. And Lord, there is, we need you, Lord, to send your spirit upon our hearts this morning and, and, how, and, and just speak to us about how we apply what we've heard this morning, Lord we want to be diligent, Lord, with the Word, with the Word of God, with the confrontation of your Spirit, and just with maybe even the consolation of your Spirit this morning, Lord, comforting us, reminding us that you you see all things, that you're with us, that, that you love us. Lord, you can speak to a, through one passage, you can speak in a million different ways, and so we thank you for that. We ask you to come now and as we close this service, Father, that you would remind us of the importance of keeping our hearts in check, Lord, keeping our hearts pure before you, not allowing, even within ourselves, any kind of toleration of sin that that spirit of Jezebel might not be present in our own hearts, Lord, where we're just sort of allowing sin to exist, and you keep knocking on the door, but we're unwilling to repent. This morning, Lord, We want to just be transparent. You see all things. Your eyes are like flames of fire. And we want to respond to your grace this morning. Your your grace is in the fact that we can repent. As believers, we should be repenting on a continual basis. And So this morning, Lord, just have your way in us. As we continue to pray, if there's anyone here this morning, you don't know the Lord and you want to come to know the Lord this morning, will you lift your hand up? I want to lead you in a prayer. Just giving your heart to Jesus Christ, surrendering your life to him, that your sins would be forgiven, that you can know that you know that you know that you're going to heaven. If you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, lift your hand up and say, man, I, I want that this morning. I really want to be and know that I'm going to heaven. God bless you. God bless you. Is there anyone else this morning that, that you don't know you're not sure, but you want to make sure, and so you want to give your heart to Jesus. Anyone else? It's a, he's a prayer away, man. He wants to wash you clean. If you're online, you can join me in a prayer. If you lift your hand up, you just say these words in your heart to the Lord. Lord Jesus, I come to you. I want to receive you now as my Lord and Savior. I, forgive me for my sins, Lord. I turn away from them today, and I turn to you. I believe that you died, that you rose again from the dead to save me. Be my Lord. Have your way in me. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And if you're a believer here this morning, you're backslidden, listen, you repent this morning, you come to the, you you just come back to the Lord. It's the same prayer. doesn't matter what, what's going on in your life, the same prayer, Lord, I believe in you and what you've done for me. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.